This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. I um, had the joy of participating in the uh, Pride Parade on uh, yesterday, and uh, when hearing a song about breathing new life, I uh, really felt like that uh, was part of what happened for me, this sense of the life, the joy, uh, the energy coming from the SOU group. Um, in Medford, uh, UMC was there as well with a nice big group, and so we marched uh, next to each other. Um, and I heard this morning that Grants Pass UMC has voted to become reconciling. So these are, we're making tremendous strides um, in talking about what is justice. Um, and I um, had the sorrow uh, yesterday of seeing a few people who claim to represent the church uh, at the uh, booth area. And they were waving very hurtful signs and uh, saying very uh, unkind things. Um, And Karen and I, uh, Karen McClintock and I, debated whether we should have like a clergy (laughs) beatdown. But unfortunately, that doesn't really help uh, folks who are very convinced that certain things are a certain way based on their own wounds or anger, um, you know, they're, they're invested in, that's what they're invested in, rather than love and care for each other. And so, um, you know, I just wanna talk about <clears throat> what it means to heed the call of God. And so I guess I'm reminded of Jonah. Jonah was a very reluctant prophet. Jonah lived at a time where he knew people who'd been desperately hurt by empires, by other people uh, who had used their power as hurt, a means of hurting rather than a means of healing or helping. And when God asked him to go and tell the people who had hurt him that it was time for them to heal, uh, that it was, that God was gonna, that if they didn't do something, things were not gonna be good for them. They were gonna, Nineveh was the name of the town where those folks lived. Jonah refused. There's no way he wanted to help those jerks over there. There's no way he wanted to do anything for them at all. And he got on the nearest boat, headed in the fastest way in the opposite direction. And of course, that doesn't work, does it? How many people have tried to run from God? Good luck, Jonah. (laughs) Meanwhile, things didn't go well for him because when you flee from God, you find that your life is just tumultuous and the waves and the wind that we hear about in the story is very like what we experience in our own lives when we feel like somehow God is calling us and we just can't face that call. Things become tumultuous. They become upheavaled. And sure enough, uh, the, uh, the sailors in the boat asked, he realized he was the problem here and all the tumult was surrounding him and they said to Jonah, what have you done? And off the boat he went down into the water to be what? Swallowed by a big fish, right? And the fish swallowed him. 
And this became a moment of reckoning. Sometimes for us, it takes hitting rock bottom. It takes being willing to face the absolute abject nowhere that we're getting to turn and be willing to hear God. And for some of us to let go of our pain. You know, Jonah's hurting. That's why Jonah behaves so badly. Jonah's hurting. Those people really did hurt him. And Jonah realizes that God's mercy to him was so valuable that he was willing to participate in that mercy, even to people he didn't love. And so he prays to God, and God makes the fish to throw Jonah up. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, not, not celebrating, but he is acting. And he, he warns them. And guess what they do? They turn. This was Karen in my fantasy yesterday, that we could go to them and we could somehow bring them a big fish and that somehow they could see their own pain enough and bear their own pain enough that they could turn and see God. Jonah doesn't make that whole turn. He makes a half turn. After he gets done telling Nineveh, they better look out, and Nineveh says, ooh, good idea. And so God ends up being merciful to Nineveh. Jonah goes and sulks under a bush and pouts. <laughs> this is such a great story for our lives. I saw in the metaphor of yesterday so many times where I disagree with somebody or I feel that they're being hurtful and I wish there was some way I could make a difference, some way I could bring a big fish for them. And then I have to be accountable to my own self and all the big fish that need to come swallow me so I can let go of my own pain and hurt. So as we pray today, I would like us to think about that. Think about being courageous enough to be aware of where we bring tumult, where tumult comes into our lives, and that we can trust God with that tumult. We don't have to flee, but we can trust that in that God is also, and that we can turn and be as we are called to be. Let us pray. Amazing God, we are your people. <sighs> Treasure us. Help us. Heal us in our hurts. Turn us to your way. Gently, Lord, gently. Help us bear with patience those with whom we disagree, and help us find love for those who are hurtful, even as we protect ourselves from their hurt. For we are worthy, and we are all God's children. Let us speak the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The second scripture reading is from Habakkuk. The Chaldean is dreadful and fearful. He makes his own justice and dignity. His horses are faster than leopards. They are quicker than wolves of the evening. His horsemen charge forward. They fly in to devour swiftly like an eagle. He laughs at every fortress, then piles up dirt and takes it. He takes captives like sand. Lord, aren't you ancient, my God, my Holy One? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You are unable to look at disaster. Why would you look at the treacherous or keep silent when the wicked swallows one who loves you and keeps your word? You made humans like the fish of the sea, like creeping things with no one to rule over them. The Chaldean brings all of them up with a fish hook. He drags them away with a net. He collects them in his fishing net. Then he rejoices and celebrates. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his fishing nets because due to them, his portion grows fat and his food becomes luxurious. Should he continue to empty his net and continue to slay nations with no mercy? Right? Oh gosh, who is this pastor? She always makes us hear all those awful prophets who have nothing good to say except horrible imagery like picking people up with, well, we won't even say that again because we heard that once. This idea of what fish are in the Western mind are way at the bottom of the chain of being, right? First of all, there's men, then there's whales and women. What is it that we, there's this whole sort of, but, but you know, um, this great chain of being goes down, and fish are, for us, Westerners, pretty, pretty at the bottom, right? Very little brain, you know, like, you know, they're squishy and slimy, right? They're delicious. Most of them, some of them, they're pretty in an aquarium, but we don't actually have to worry about them much because they're not sentient, they're not important. But that wasn't exactly what people thought in the ancient times of fish. Fish were wild things, and they actually had spirits and could be in allegiance to gods or kings. Um, and uh, like I had said, I think last week, the Emperor Domitian, this idea that he was so powerful, he insisted on being called Lord and Master, uh, master and God, that fish would want to lick his hand. Fish are used here, in a sense, to show the power of something. And for some reason, and my guess is, and I don't know this, because fish was an important food supply in ports where there were uh, often very important cities. Fish were very important for the catch. There were people who lived on fishing, fishing towns. That who controlled the fish, what power, by what power fish were controlled, is a dinner table uh, emergency, right? You, you are not going to eat. You're not going to feed your kids. If you're a fisherman and you don't know by whose power, what are the things I need to do to catch the fish? And what we have is a complaint here from Peter. We've been out all night and we have caught nothing. And for us, this is just a bad fisherman conversation, right? Like, well, what kind of bait did you use? 
You know, uh, did you did you check the um, uh, uh, migratory patterns of whatever it is you're trying to catch? Have you overfished? Right? These are all Western rationalist questions. Not even on the table then in this story. Totally unconcerned with the migratory patterns of fish. Completely unconcerned. Much, much more concerned with where is God? What is God doing? How has God, how is God going to feed us? Remember the loaves and the fishes? We break the loaves and we pass the fish around, and it is God who does that. In the ancient times, it was God who ruled the seas and all that was in it, all the swarming creatures. And this net is not just a net that we call them fisher nets, and we think of them as specifically for fish, but this word can be applied to any wild animal. These could be buffaloes. So when they go out and they fished all night and they come back, they want to know, has God forsaken them? They're missing their meal. Give us today our daily bread. Where is that bread? They come home empty-handed, and it feels deeper than just, did you check the migratory patterns? Maybe they really hate that kind of bait. It feels like somehow God isn't there today. That God has favored someone else, or that maybe the fish obey a force stronger than God or different than God somewhere else. And Jesus arrives in that setting where there have been no fish. Jesus, who is supposed to be representative, a holy man of God, and he steps out onto one of the boats that is not being used right now because there are no fish. And he goes out into the water and he begins to teach the crowd that is gathered. And then he calls over the disciples and says, you know, what are, what are you doing? And they're, well, we're mending our nets. And, well, you know, we didn't catch anything all night. It's a complaint. We were out all night and we have caught nothing. They're not disciples yet. They're just fishermen. They're not high on the list. Something has become between them and their livelihood. They're not in a good mood. And here's this holy man who professes to know God and love God and be with God, and are they fed? No. Are they included? Maybe not. I have caught nothing. And so Jesus says, well, row out. Row out. Throw out the net. And they do. And in a show of God's power, not Jesus' understanding of migratory fish patterns, but God's power. The nets are filled. The nets are filled with fish to the point that they are splitting. And fishermen, they have really, really uh, tight nets. They tie those knots. They're serious about those nets. Why? Because that's their food and livelihood in there. These are not just like crepe paper nets that the fishermen have thrown out in order to make a splash. Their serious, hardcore, well-knitted nets are splitting with how many fish. They have to call in more boats. The abundance is so overwhelming. They don't even know how to manage it all. And they're literally pouring these fish 
into the boats. And Peter, Peter recognizes what has happened. And Peter says, oh, you know, Lord, step away from me. I am a sinner. Because he's just moments ago told him, you know, I don't know who you think you are, you know, go find someone else to bother. We haven't caught anything all, all night. And obviously you're not so special because otherwise we'd have fish right now. So, so Peter had actually just insulted <laughs> the Holy One, oops, and is now recognizing that error in a really, really big way. This like belly of the fish moment, down he goes on one knee to say, Lord, I am a sinner. And Jesus says, yeah, you sure are. <laughs> As are all you rascals. Jesus doesn't debate the point that people are sinners. Of course we are. Of course we do silly things. Of course sometimes we cry out in ways we shouldn't. Somehow, wonderfully, that does not interrupt God's love for us. Jesus not only reassures Peter, but Jesus calls Peter into discipleship. How cool is that, right? Habakkuk is a wonderful counter to this story, the section that we read, because it gives us an alternate view of what happens when we don't have God. These wild creatures of the sea, the buffalo of the land, these swarms of wild animals can be netted by anyone, people who mean them harm or people that mean them good. The nets are not biased. They're tools to be used. And Habakkuk is lamenting that humans are like fish. We are like wild swarming beasts like any other kind. If we panic and run, we are just a swarm. Downtown Plaza yesterday was pretty much a swarm. Anybody who's tried to find parking knows we are wild beasts, <laughs> crazed out there. And if God, if we don't have God, what happens to us is that we end up with the most powerful, getting the most say and growing the most rich that these nets are used to harm, to create captives, to create luxury and wealth for a few at the expense of the many, and that we can be mindless as fish, as human beings, and swarm right into it, either out of panic or out of foolishness or out of nothing else. I don't know about you, but without God in my life, things are a lot, I can't even imagine that. It's like a shining light for me. That helps me so much. And when I feel desperately down or overwhelmed by the news or things that are happening or by our human foolishness, knowing that that's not how it is with God, being able to pull into the hope that that is not the Lord's word on it, that comforts me and gives me strength and hope. When the armies of the Chaldeans, and those were the Mesopotamians, there were many, many different tribes in Mesopotamia, and they called themselves different things by different ethnicities, but they 
were early Akkadian speakers who then became into the Semitic Levant, and they had all these tribal areas, and so they're kind of us, and they're also kind of them. It's an interesting tribe to name. They were a, uh, a force within the Assyrian army and a force within the Babylonian army, and depending on what historian was registering the names. And they were cruel. And by the Judean perspective, they were godless. But they sure didn't act in any kind of kindness. And empires often don't. Power is really a tough one for us people. We don't often do very good things with it. And Habakkuk warns of this. If there is no God, we are just like these wild creatures. And we are going to be brought into the net, and we are going to be captive, and it is not going to be life-giving. And then we have, you know, the bad examples of the world. You know, how do we, how do we respond to God? And we could respond in the way of Jonah and run. Run so hard that we actually hurt others and ourselves. There's this wonderful tombstone in ancient uh, Rome that I just love. And uh, it's a tombstone, I know what. You know, I spent time in graveyards. <laughs> and to me, um, the testament that we have for family and community in places that are green, that there's so much love there. I know that's not most people's experience of a graveyard, but as a pastor, after serving for a time in any place, it becomes a place where your friends are remembered. Ah, yes, and I remember, and I remember, and I can visit each place and suddenly connect it back to that sense of community that had surrounded that person in their lifetime. And we are taught as Christians that that transcends this life, that there is something more beyond that for each and all of us, something wonderful. This tombstone has a picture of two fish with an anchor in the middle. It's carved out of the stone. And it is from a man, a Licinia. And the inscription is, Fish of the Living. Early, early Christian iconography were the anchor and the fish. One, Christ and fish had some similar Greek lettering, but also this idea that when you are anchored in faith, when you are anchored in Christ, when your boat is not being pushed by the tumultuous waves because you are fleeing God, but rather being drawn towards that which God has called you, that there is something wonderful about that, knowing that place where you are is good, or at least moving towards goodness. You are on the path of righteousness, if we can use that word without adding mean judgment and recognizing this is right uprightness, that we have not fallen, but we are brought upright on the path of God. We are the fish of the living. And the living, this word zoe, it doesn't just mean life. It means it's got, 
it's got a number of meanings, and one of which is like menagerie, like life. Like when we say it was, the island was brimming with life, what do we imagine? But an island full of creatures of four legs and two legs and feathers and swarms among the corals, right? That's what life is, lushness, beauty. Even in the desert, when those subtle, if you look at the subtle pastel blooms and you know that you are not just looking out into a deserted place, but you are looking out into a place full of lizards and beetles and soft blooming cacti. Zoe, fish of the living, you're not just, a, you're blooming with life. That when we are pulled out of the nets, we are pulled out alive. That we are the fish of the living. The last line in the Luke does not have the word fish in it. We add the word fish, we add the word fisherman. It says, I will help you catch for people. Luke turns it all the way around. Luke doesn't bring in Habakkuk, but through Habakkuk we hear where this metaphor goes for Luke. These wild things that we are. God spreads the net and pulls us out alive and wiggling, brimming with life. We are, as Licinius says, the fish of the living. We are beautiful to God. We are wanted and celebrated and known. We are Peter. Lord, I am a sinner. I'm not worthy of this abundance. Well, okay, so you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's not a debated point. Yeah, if that's the point we're going to debate, you're all in trouble. That's not what Jesus is, cares about at all. Be kind to your neighbor, yes, but you are loved. Your kindness to your neighbor, your goodness, your abundance comes out of that gratitude, that recognizing that in God, we pull our boats again into the ocean, we lower our nets, and we live. Praise be to God. we could take just a minute for reflection as I said before let the children do as they will but for us grown ups let us spend a minute 